As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Hello, I'm Tim Wyatt and you're listening to Matters of Life and Death. Uh, Today's episode is a bit different from usual as we're returning to the archive to rebroadcast an episode we first recorded almost exactly a year ago. This month marks 101 years since the late John Stott was born and his centenary last year in April 2021 prompted a a flurry of events to mark the centenary of this highly influential vicar, Bible teacher and evangelical leader. Uncle John, as he was affectionately known by many, also had a huge impact on my dad's life and career. And so we dialed in back then last year to reflect on not only the legacy of Stott's many decades of ministry, but also to consider whether his vision for how Christians can engage well in the public square was still relevant and meaningful now, more than 60 years after he began making the case. Has society long since moved on, or are there still things to learn and challenges to heed from Stott? We hope you enjoy the discussion. Well, hello, John. Uh, Thanks for joining us again for another episode of Matters of Life and Death. Um, Today, we wanted to spend uh, this episode talking about uh, John Stott. Um, Some of our listeners might have come across the fact that last week it was the 100th anniversary of his birth, and there was a a plethora of uh, special services, discussions, talks, uh, all over the internet and around the world talking about this uh, church leader who died about 10 years ago. Um, what what's all the fuss about? Why why are people make such a big deal about of him? Who was he, and what is your place in all of this, Dad? Yeah, so John Stott is probably one of the most significant uh, Christian leaders of the twentieth century. Um, of course, you know, church history is is a is a retrospective discipline, but uh, many people would put him in uh, a league of the, one or two outstanding Christian leaders of the twentieth century. And uh, he had an enormous impact globally. Uh, He had a global ministry, although he spent most of his time working in central London as a rector at All Souls Church. Um, And I happened by uh, sheer coincidence or the providence of God to turn up at All Souls as a first year medical student in 1972. And... uh, I have to say the reason I went to All Souls was not because of the wonderful biblical preaching, but because they had an orchestra and I I played the trumpet and uh, 
and uh, this was a chance for me to play in a, in a church orchestra. Um, and John Stott was a sort of slightly distant and forbidding but very impressive picture uh, person in the pulpit and uh, from you very rapidly realized that his sermons were extraordinarily immaculately prepared and and and, and very effective very dense both both theologically intellectually but also spiritually um, but then a number of years later probably three or four years later when I'd be a fourth year medical student he um, I get a message from the rectory would you like to come and have a cup of coffee and uh, it, it was a bit like being asked to see the headmaster in his study and um, I went with great trepidation and much to my uh, surprise and delight um, he, he solemnly welcomed me into his tiny bachelor pad he, I can still remember the instant he sort of uh, gave me a, a cup of instant coffee and a digestive biscuit and uh, and then we were alone together and and, uh, and he was interested in me and uh, how can I pray for you and, and what's it like being a medical student and uh, what are you reading at the moment and, and and he was intentionally starting up a friendship which in fact was to last nearly 40 years and uh, we walked together over the years um, uh, sharing triumphs and tragedies and and he opened his heart to me I opened my heart to him and he had an enormous transformative effect on my life um, and in many ways you know here we are doing a podcast called matters of life and death why on earth would we be doing that and the answer is it's because of Stott and and what Stott modeled for me what is his idea of engaging in the modern world of double listening all, all these ideas are ideas that came from him hmm. And you've been quite involved um, in some of the commemorations and, and the reflections. You've, you've preached a sermon at All Souls, uh, which explored uh, Stott's ideas around releasing lay people for ministry. Um, you've done an interview with the kind of influential Christian blogger and podcaster Glenn Scrivener about, about Stott and your friendship. And you also um, did a talk at the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, which Stott himself actually founded, um, and, a, and a discussion. And, and we're going to put links to all of those if you people want to dig in deep to the Stott centenary and find out more about the man he was, uh, his books, his writings, his legacy. Um, we'll put links to all of those on the website and in the podcast notes, so you can so you can explore further. Um, but we wanted to, to today skim over some of the key thinkings and the key th lessons that you've drawn reflecting back on his life, but also ask primarily what is the relevance of Stott and Stottian thinking, if that is a thing, uh, today here in 2021 for people maybe like me born after his kind of public ministry was, was, was winding down. Yes, and um, it, it, I have been, I have to say, quite encouraged about the amount of interest there has been in Stott um, uh, despite the fact it's 100 years <clears throat> since he was born and uh, 10 years since he died and um, but I think in some ways uh, one could argue that that Stott's influence particularly in the UK has actually been much less than one might imagine I mean uh, people uh, pay respect to the name he's 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 but the older generation tend to regard that name with great respect. But but if I ask the question, how much are the are the, the things that he was utterly passionate about? How much are they really, really re being reflected here and now in the 20th century? I actually think that in many ways the evangelical church has gone backwards 
in the UK and that perhaps the greatest impact of stock paradoxically has been elsewhere, particularly in low resource countries uh, in Africa, in Latin America and in Asia uh, and much less in the UK. Hmm. And so when you look back on on some of the recurring themes that you see in stock, both of the, the man you knew and in the preacher and, and, and writer, what are what are, I think you have about three headings you wanted to quickly explain that you think have something to say for us here here today? Yes, he, he combined both an, an utter commitment to the historic biblical reformed faith and uh, and was utterly steeped in that tradition. Uh, but he combined that with a, a driving passion to understand the modern world and to relate the historic Christian faith to the modern world with all the complexities and confusions and challenges. And it, it was that combination, and, and particularly the radical side of his of his nature. Uh, someone described him as a conservative radical, and, and I think it's quite a, a good description. He was he was conservative about the the historic Orthodox Christian faith, but he was radical about everything else. He was prepared to upset the apple cart, uh, toss over tradition, and and was involved in some very controversial um, aspects of truth. And I have to say, as a young man, it was that aspect that drew me to him you know if he would if he'd just simply been a preacher who was faithful to the bible and who explained the gospel in very clear terms then frankly you know i'd heard many preachers like that and he wouldn't have had uh, the impact he did on my on my life but the the impact came from his his desire to really understand the modern world to do it genuinely not to play at it but but uh, to spend time, energy, engaging, um, and and throughout all came this emphasis on listening. So, if there's one word that, um, in 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 perhaps summarised Stott more than any others, apart from focus on Christ, and it would be listening and, and his desire both to listen to God, to listen to other people, including Christians in low resource settings in in so-called majority world settings and to, to and to listen to the modern world and this i and, and he, he didn't just talk about it he did it and he did it meticulously and carefully and interestingly this listening uh, attitude comes from his theology it's because he believes that other people have things that are worth saying so he 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 genuinely believed in the doctrine of the church that that the spirit gives everybody within the Christian community special gifts and therefore he's he's prepared to listen even to quite lowly Christians and to Christians from all kinds of different backgrounds across the world but he also believes in in what the reformers call the the doctrine of common grace that that God gives his gift of knowledge and insight not just to believers but actually um, to unbelievers to people who come from uh, utterly different uh, faith traditions or from atheism or whatever and therefore he would he was prepared to enter in, into dialogue he, he he listens and was that controversial was that unusual was that out of step with evangelical thinking at the time it certainly was and it and it although people respected him as a person there were many people who felt that he was completely misguided in fact be, it's interesting that he he talked about the fact that 
he he had a sort of change of heart in in his his first um, say 10 15 years of his ministry from the early 50s through to the mid 60s he in many ways followed a very traditional understanding of evangelism and of church and of teaching bible teaching and so on um, but starting in the 60s and on into the 70s he, he had a really sort of major change when he he, he he came to understand that engaging in the modern world and, and demonstrating the relevance of Christianity to uh, everyday issues was important. And there were many people in the church who thought that he had simply lost, you know, he was going liberal. He was he was losing his focus on, on the, quote, simple gospel. They thought that he had uh, uh, been... Uh, in in many ways lost the heart and so but he was quite unapologetic he was although in a very gentle and peacemaking way he was nonetheless very firm in in arguing that actually this was the orthodox historic christian church it, it was the the narrowness and to use a word the pietism of traditional evangelicalism the withdrawal from the world that that actually was was misguided. That was to to deviate. Historic Christianity had never been pietistic. Had never withdrawn into a holy huddle. It had always wished to engage in the world. And that's where you get that famous quote that people may have heard about about you know preaching with a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other, and trying to marry the eternal, unchanging gospel truth, but with in, to an incredibly close attention to what was actually happening in people's lives at that point in the 1960s in London, in England. That's right. And I can remember the impact it had on me just sitting in the back row there at All Souls Church and hearing him, he preached a series of sermons on, quotes, contemporary issues, you know, and this is the 1970s and it was things like labour relations and uh, unemployment, uh, nuclear disarmament, uh, divorce law reform, uh, and those kind of issues. And he was taking the stuff that was in the newspapers of that week and then carefully and patiently and persuasively showing how Christian truth could actually engage and and I've never forgotten the effect it had on me it was absolutely electrifying and and um, in, as, ever since I've tried to do however inadequately and however much you know I'm not in the same league as John Stott but that's actually been one of the guiding passions for my life is to try to show how orthodox Christian truth is relevant to the real issues which we face today. And the other theme you, you pulled out is this idea of salt and light. As Christians in the secular world, those not in ministry, how, how he taught you and others in your position as you know doctors lawyers journalists uh how they were to live in, in the secular world yeah he, you know he really believed in quotes lay people um in fact that even that uh designation you know that's what how the church refers to lay people and a lay person is someone who is so weird is they're not even ordained i mean you know there, <laughs> there are there are the serious people who are ordained and then there's the kind of the other ranks 
and, and yeah, they they're, they're worthy and they they important and they they do good works, but they're not the heart of where the church is. That you know, and Stott um, genuinely believed biblically that um, that actually it was ordinary people that who were the doing the work of ministry, and um, he he was sometimes quite pedantic about this because. When some bright young thing came up to him and said that they were thinking that God is calling them into the ministry, and he would raise his eyebrows and he would say something like, "Well, that's very interesting. Uh, is this? Are you talking about the agricultural ministry, maybe, or, or the educational <laughs> ministry, or, or perhaps the scientific? Oh, I see. You're talking about the pastoral ministry. Well, why don't you say so? In other words, he refused <laughs> to think that the ministry, the only way mm. you serve." was by being ordained and 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 he would his influence on me was to push me back from any idea of of going into and becoming a, a clergyman and uh, and and to see the value of of serving Christ as a as a medic as he and he had so much influence on other um people in so he genuinely believed that this is where the real work of ministry happens. The work of ministry happen, doesn't happen within the church. It happens mm. in the world where Christians are being salt and light. And I suppose if one steps back and looks at the UK today, it's not hard to believe that the people who make the greatest influence for the kingdom are not the tiny cadre of priests and ministers and vicars, but it's the ordinary everyday Christians working in secular workplaces in the schools, in the NHS, in businesses, in local authorities who are, you know, if they are following that call to be salt and light are actually having, making the biggest dent for the kingdom. Well, I, I think that's right. And that, of course, that's not to denigrate the, the enormous value of Bible teachers and preachers and evangelists and so on. But the real work of ministry, I do believe, and, and Stott believed, happens out there in the world. But he would push it further and say... You know, when when the slab of meat is decaying and putrefying, who do you blame? Do you blame the meat? No, you blame the salt. The salt has failed in its role of preservation. And so if we look at society and we see negative things going on and we see decay and um, putrefaction taking place morally, then the question is, who is responsible? And Stott would say, we have failed in our in our role as salt and light and 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 i think he is right and and uh, and yet i think i have been you know in the 14 50 years experience since i was a student i've had the privilege of of, of penetrating into many different strands of british society and i've been amazed and encouraged by discovering that actually wherever you go you find christian believers in every single part of british society there are Christian believers quietly working away, acting as salt and light, and, and therefore I have absolutely no doubt that uh, politics, the civil service, the NHS, the schools, social work, you name it, it would be significantly worse if it wasn't for the preservative action of, of Christian believers. And what about the light then? What does it mean to be light as as quote-unquote lay Christian disciples? Well, I think light is penetrates into dark places. It it illuminates things that people want to keep keep quiet. And, and it, 
we're 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 to point to the truth, and that that's to, to to point to the truth about Christ. But it's also to point out evil and corruption, uh, and and to put our heads above the parapet, and and that's often a very uncomfortable and and, and painful position. And yet, you know, that was what. Jesus said, "You know, you're you're supposed to be this tiny little village on the top of a hill." I, I remember years ago traveling in southern Italy, um, and you saw exactly the, what Jesus the analogy. You know, this very mountainous terrain, and there on the top of of a of a quite significant hill would be a little village with the lights on, and and, and you could see. You know, it was only a little village, but it certainly made a difference. You could see it for a very long way around. And I suppose, uh, linking back to what we talked about at the beginning about um, kind of connecting the church to the everyday world, it also means that Christians have a responsibility to seek to to shed to shed light on on those issues. So it's no good just for the church to be thinking about divorce reform or international labour relations internally, but also Christians need to get out there and start making the Christian case whatever the Christian position is on divorce reform or labor relations or nuclear disarmament to others and, and seek to, to, uh, to share the light that, that they have had shed, shed in that sense. That's absolutely right. And that really leads on to this, this third emphasis of which um, John Stott often spoke about, which was to use a theological term, incarnational ministry, that uh, the, the ministry, the service of Christian people has to be incarnated it has to be lived out physically and he he drew attention to the the alternative great commission i mean when people talk about the great commission to mission they naturally turn to the end of matthew's gospel chapter 28 where jesus says go into all the world and make disciples and a, a, a Stott, of course, uh, preached and, and on that Great Commission and, and, and supported it. But he also referred to the other Great Commission, which is in John's Gospel. After the resurrection, Jesus meets his disciples and he says, As the Father has sent me into the world, so I am sending you. And he said, That is, is just as much a Great Commission as the Matthew 28 Commission, but here we are being sent to be Jesus in our different places. And I can remember what an impact that had on me as a young medical student because, you know, I was being asked to consider, suppose that instead of God breaking into the world in the person of a carpenter in obscure part of Palestine, in God's sovereignty, he'd chosen to break into the world in the person of a junior doctor working in central London. How would that junior doctor have behaved? How would he have treated his patients? What would he have said? How would he have uh, fulfilled that role? And um, to really engage with that question and to, and, and to ask the question of, you know, Jesus is sending me, sent to care, sent to serve, sent to demonstrate love and compassion and the reality of of God's presence what what does that mean in practice i th i think that emphasis on incarnational mission is incredibly central to the new testament and 
as Stott often pointed out and has been a great inspiration to me, if you look at the early church and you see the way those Christians behaved, what is extraordinary is is the way they just put it into practice. They uh, reached out to leprosy victims and to poor people. They rescued abandoned babies from the rubbish heaps and they went into the prisons and, and cared for prisoners and they gossiped the gospel down the trade routes and they just lived their lives. And the church grows explosively um, from people carrying out this incarnational mission. Unbelievable.